Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. As we gear up for award season, there's no better time to join us. By becoming a Vanity Fair subscriber, you'll gain exclusive access to our in-depth coverage of film, television, and the best of Hollywood. And that's just the beginning. Vanity Fair takes you inside the worlds of entertainment, culture, politics, and scandal, bringing you iconic images, era-defining stories, and much more. Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting VanityFair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the podcast that proves without a doubt that Oscar season and award season is a year-round affair. I'm Mike Hogan, the digital director of Vanity Fair. I'm here with our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And patching in from the Bay Area, our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hello, hello. We have a very exciting, interesting show lined up. Lots of stuff to talk about. Some that we kind of can't really talk about, but we're going to talk about anyway. We're going to talk about some of the movies that Richard discovered while putting together an Oscar season preview that might not be on your radar yet as uh, committed Oscar watchers that you all are. We are going to do our best to discuss the Nate Parker saga a bit here without stepping in one bucket of cement or another which is uh, hard which is going to be <laughs> challenging yeah. <laughs> uh we're going to talk about snowden and the light between oceans which uh, richard's seen both i saw one we're not really supposed to review them yet but i think we can sort of hint gently at what they might spell for award season mm-hmm. see if we can get away with that the bbc top movies of the millennium so far which richard and i both contributed to as did uh, katie rich the uh founding host of little gold men controversial list kind of a cool list mm-hmm. number one was M- Mulholland Drive which I did find quite astonishing yeah so we'll get into that and then finally we're going to relitigate the best actor award from 2012 the 84th Academy Awards when Michael Fassbender was the notably absent non-nominee and yeah. Jean Dujardin won for not saying a word in the artist kicked off a thriving career that was a- <laughs> <laughs> all right Let's start, Richard. Let's hear. So you've been doing research for this preview post. Yeah. So Thank you, by the way, for doing d- that. Yeah, happy to do it. So this is kind of just a tease of something that's coming in a couple of weeks. We're going to launch a bunch of big fall stuff on the site. And one of those things is a big fall movie preview that I put together last week and this week. And uh, I'm still putting the finishing touches on. But, you know, what's funny is that for me, it was mostly a good reminder, just kind of solidify, okay, when is this movie coming out? When is it coming out? Of stuff I already knew about. But there were a couple of movies that maybe I had dimly heard about, but didn't really realize were, had actually made the cut for this year. One of them being this movie called Gold. Have we heard of this? Directed by Stephen Gagan, who wrote Traffic and directed Syriana. Mm, okay. Yeah. And it's got Matthew McConaughey and Edgar Ramirez as gold hunters in Borneo. And um, Bryce Dallas Howard is in it. And I have no idea if it's Oscar. It's being released right at Christmas for like a qualifying release. And then we'll come yeah. out later in January. 
Um, so mm. that would indicate to me, huh. but like no one's been talking about that movie. Gold. Yeah. No, um, gold. But I, I liked Syriana a lot, um, and George Clooney won an Oscar for acting in Syriana, and obviously Stephen Gagan won an Oscar for writing Traffic. So there is pedigree there, um, right? Which I thought was interesting. You're saying this isn't like a McConaughey, Kate Hudson, gold joint. No, this is I don't. This much isn't, classier. This isn't a prequel <laughs> to Fool's Gold. Uh, no. Well, and it's a Weinstein Company. The Weinstein Company paid uh, fifteen million dollars for the U.S. rights to it. Oh, but it's T- Weinstein Dimension, a new label. Uh, I'm reading The Hollywood Reporter, a new label aiming to release more commercially minded fare, such as box office mm-hmm. hit Paddington. Oh, okay. Because Dimension used to be run, you know, when it was run by Bob Weinstein, it was kind right. of a horror imprint, yes. if you will. Yeah. Um, but this is TWC Dimension. Oh, okay. I wondered what happened to Dimension. Okay. So, but still, I mean, the Christmas release, so maybe they're trying to counter program against all the heavy Oscar stuff and do like, this is a prestige movie for normal people i wonder if they saw the revenant do well which is kind of an adventure film but, yes. but also well made and they were like ah we yeah. might be able to tap into that same kind of spirit well can we just uh, say yeah. one more thing about yeah. gold yeah. it's again i'm reading the second high profile pact between producer teddy schwartzman and twc after the imitation game so there's definitely some oh, heavy okay. oscar-y vibes happening here yeah yeah and, and you got to think harvey ended up saying why don't we go for oscar and put it out in december rather than like june if, if they were originally thinking commercial yeah maybe they saw an early cut of the film and we're we're happy with mm. it um and you know this could be matthew mcconaughey getting a chance at some minor bit of redemption after free state of jones came out this- <laughs> you know, early summer and didn't do anything. It's the reverse Norbit effect. Right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're undoing the big mm-hmm. uh, prestige okay. movie. That, uh-huh. So that's interesting. And then another one that I knew was coming at some point, but I hadn't realized was confirmed, and it seems it is, is Fences, um, the right. Denzel Washington movie, which it had been sort of rumored for a long time. And that's, you know, it, again, getting a very plum release spot on December 16th. In a, you know, I think a small release. December 16th, it's interesting. That's, you know, when Rogue One comes out. Okay. So, But there yeah. are a bunch of other movies, like Collateral Beauty, that mysterious one we talked about a couple weeks ago, yes. that are all being released on the 16th as well. Um, but I think that the other ones are just doing like, okay, we're going to open in New York, one theater in New York, one theater in Los Angeles just to qualify, and then we'll wait till after Star Wars blows through to really open wide but yeah fences is one of those movies this is a a good thing to talk about especially since we're going to talk about birth of a nation in a bit fences is a movie i keep seeing come up when people talk about how oscar might diversify this year because we've got denzel we've got viola davis we've got these like oscar heavy hitters in this adaptation of a beloved play so it just has oscar to the gills written all over it so i'm interested to see yeah you know and viola davis who plays denzel's character's wife um won a tony for playing the same role opposite denzel washington on broadway right, they both played it on broadway yeah. uh-huh. right, right so right. it's a real reunion for them you know so it seems very promising and um as i sort of argued in this preview that's coming out and maybe we can talk about when we get to birth of a nation is it it seems like something that could perhaps take the mantle that Birds of a Nation maybe has to cede because of this controversy. I don't I don't know. But. Well, and speaking of uh, larger than life New York based producers who like to kind of rig Oscar season, Scott Rudin is producing it. Yeah, yes. right. so yeah. Scott Rudin, the, the great super producer who, you know, like Weinstein to an, to an extent, has kind of almost equal footing in film and theater. So he really can, is really good at, at bridging that gap and bringing theater pieces into the filmic and world. And possibly the only man scarier to work for than Harvey. Do you <laughs> know there's a, there's a yeah. cafe across the street um, where people go when Scott Rudin fires them to wait 
and hope that they get a call in a few hours to be like, you can come back now. Oh, it's God. okay. Oh my God. The whole, there's a holding pen. Yeah. There's a little holding like, pen. Like, you know, again, just go across the street in all likelihood. You will hear from us in a couple hours. That's great. Um, yeah. So, wow. uh, tensions, passions run high. Yeah, but uh, that's that's what happens when you're making art. Yeah, and he's a force in the commercial space. With, you know, he's he's got Oscars. So yeah, I think that seeing that for sure on the kind of release list that was exciting. Just in doing this preview, like there's a lot coming. We're going to see a lot at festivals, but we're not going to get all of it. So I think that we'll have a continuously developing season as we go, which is exciting. This look, it looks like it could shape up to be quite a good year. And it wasn't looking like that a month ago. Right. So I right. feel like everything is really. Of course, this is always the kind of most. Uh, exciting part of the year where it's like all yeah. these movies will be great well, well none of the christmas presents have been opened yet right exactly <laughs> it's just to <laughs> just see everything under uh-huh. the tree and it's very exciting and you're shaking them and yeah. it sounds promising but then sad. half of them are socks you know Ugh, so. all right socks. so you brought up the birth of a nation and this has all blown up since the last time we sat down and recorded an episode yeah. but basically to quickly rehash what is known Nate Parker, it had been known that in, I think it was 2001, when he was a student at Penn yeah. State, uh, he was accused of rape. He and... Or, no, 1999. Okay, yeah, 1999. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and his friend, uh, who is actually the screenwriter, co-screenwriter of uh, The Birth of a Nation, were both accused of raping a woman, and eventually he was exonerated. Um, the friend was convicted, but that was later turned over on appeal. I think Fox Searchlight decided we got to get ahead of this. This is a known fact. We, we know about this. It's on his Wikipedia page, as everybody keeps saying. So they had him come out and talk about it. At that point, the accuser, who has not been named in the press, uh, her brother came forward to say that she has since died. And in fact, uh, he said that she had committed suicide. Nate Parker then did a Facebook post saying that he didn't know that, expressing what seemed like real concern and contrition of a a sort, while also saying, look, you know, I was exonerated. Joanna, what's your take on this sad, disturbing story? Uh, Well, it's a good second chapter of the conversation we had about Woody Allen and sort of trying to separate the art from the artist. I will say with Nate Parker, it's a slightly different case because I really don't know anything about his work other than whatever buzz Birth of a Nation had on it since Sundance. Uh, So it's not someone who I followed and knew as an artist first, and then this other dimension has emerged. It's like, this is his entire legacy in front of me right now. Not that he sprang from the world fully formed the beginning of this year. I just wasn't, he wasn't really much on my radar. So I don't know. It's challenging. I haven't seen Birth of the Nation. A lot of critics that I really respect who are at Sundance actually told me they thought it wasn't worth quite the buzz and quite the price tag that it got coming out of the festival. Back in January, they said this. So I didn't have as sky-high expectations of Birth of a Nation as some other people might have. But it definitely, it's it's really, really tricky and unfortunate. I don't think I need to boycott this movie. I just think that it's inevitably part of the conversation. What makes it even more inevitably part of the conversation is that sexual assault is part of the film itself. One of the kind of inciting moments in the film is the horrific rape of a black woman, and that kicks off the big protest that's at the heart of the film. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to talk about this without, you know, almost sort of relitigating it. And I I think that 
you know, for our purposes, you know, I, I read something in Variety yesterday, maybe a writer named Michael Arsenault who wrote something, I think, for Complex, saying like he's a he's a black um, man himself. Um, Arsenault is and about why he doesn't support Nate Parker. And he was kind of tweeting about it again yesterday. And he tweeted out something, a quote from Variety that was talking about how at Sundance, this movie, Birth of a Nation, was viewed as the kind of corrective to or the thing that would finally solve hashtag Oscar so white. And, my, and his point was, did we really think that one movie was solving that? Right. And I think that coming at the beginning to middle of January when, or no, excuse me, at the end of January when Sundance does, so we're a month away from the Oscars, the nominations are out, there's protest happening, you know. Yes. I think that maybe there was some groupthink by executives or whoever that, oh my God, we've got our silver bullet, like here it is, like, hey, look. So once those kind of expectations for the movie build, now that we're in almost the fall season, when something like this happens, it kind of seems like, oh, well, all is lost. Our one great hope for a movie with representation about something big that's pertinent to Black Lives Matter is now dashed. And I don't think that's true. And I think that, you know, on the one hand, like you said, Joanna, we don't have to necessarily boycott this movie because of a situation that, again, we don't want to relitigate. But also, there are other movies, and we should always expect there to be more than one movie that champions voices of color or diversity or however you want to put it. Well, right. I mean, the problem all along is that there aren't enough movies being made by black filmmakers with black casts so it's not anything that one movie can solve i mean 12 years a slave came along and won best picture and that didn't solve anything at all um but it's all hopefully part of a a slow improvement uh, or maybe even better would be a fast improvement <laughs> where there are many more films by filmmakers of all kinds, including women, which is still also a major problem, which I don't understand why it's such a stubborn problem, but it is. Yeah. You know, well, this is an award season podcast, so it's impossible for us not to talk about it in the context of the Oscars. I think it's almost two different conversations. Um, one, we can talk about rape culture, but the other, there's there's a lot of conversation about what Fox Searchlight knew when they paid $17.5 million for it and clearly pinned Oscar hopes on it. Um, and I think they've said that they knew that he had been cleared of charges because it's on his Wikipedia page. So it was right out there. Um, and then there's the question of, uh, there's the conspiracy theorists uh, who have come out to say that this is all a big smear campaign to try to sink the chances of birth of a nation. This is a response I've seen, not just from cuckoos, but like slightly legitimate people saying all of this has come to light because someone wanted to hit Nate Parker's chances in, in the kneecaps. So that seems crazy to me, well, but I, probably I think that, nothing should be crazy in, in award season I think what you have to assume in award season, uh, as Mike Fleming put it in this piece where he interviewed Nate Parker at length, um, is that everything comes out. You know, that's the nature. Right. It's like a presidential campaign. If right. you're going to go for this uh, high profile of an award, it's a heavy thing. It's It's unclear why it has to be quite so heavy, but there is a weird moral dimension to the Oscars. And those voters do kind of take their mandate very seriously, not just awarding art, and they're selective as hell about it. By no means should you ever think that just because someone has an Oscar, they are somehow pure. But... But they're taking all of it into account, at least theoretically. And you're not going to be able to get through what's basically a six-month quasi-presidential campaign 
certainly more exposure than most congressional campaigns without having all your dirty laundry aired. So that does suggest that they should have looked deeper. Yeah. And, I, you know, look, I, I think that they're obviously talking about this horrible thing in the context of an award season. There is some cynicism to that. Yes. yes. But, you know, as much as this story is an intersection between uh, rape culture, sexual assault on college campuses, race certainly is involved, and especially now in the way that I think people are sort of discussing Nate Parker's downfall versus someone like Woody Allen's, you know, it intersects in a lot of angles. And one of them is this, is this culture of Hollywood and the culture of award season and how it is a lot like a political campaign. I think that it's all part of this bigger story. And I think that we can talk about it our way. And and I hope that more people talk about it in all kinds of ways, because it's a very multifaceted issue that doesn't have any clear answers, but also has a lot of kind of clear, well, losers, you know, and, and that's terrible. Joanna, can, can I ask you something? Yes. At first, it seemed like one of the big assets the film had was Nate Parker, right? Here is an incredibly charming guy who's great in a room and people like him. And then when all this comes out, you think, well, you know, he can't go do what he was going to do. But he has been very vocal. Uh, he's been stating his case very clearly. He's doing interviews. Looking at the interviews he's done, are you finding any of that persuasive or not so much? I don't know that he needs to persuade me of anything because I just feel like there's there's facts, you know, out yes. there of, of what happened. Um, someone, not me, <laughs> accused me, Marker, of uh, of doing this whole like some of my best friends are black sort of response when he was like, look, look, I've got five daughters. Um, and I don't know what to say about that. I, I almost feel like anything he said is is going to be willfully misinterpreted by some people and held up as an excuse by other people. I know that AFI did cancel a screening at Birth of a Nation and he was supposed to appear and they just canceled it. So I think maybe the momentum is building that the less Nate Parker says, the better. Even though I feel like he is really trying and seems very genuinely contrite and horrified by the news and and that sort of thing. It's almost gotten too big for any one human to tackle head on. Well, and you're right to bring up the AFI, uh, what they're calling a postponement, but apparently it was done because the president of AFI, who's under uh, attack for all kinds of stuff, apparently AFI is a hot mess right now. We'll come back to that next week. But uh, was receiving so many complaints. Membership was just like, how can you do this? That they are, quote unquote, postponing the screening. But that is uh, certainly an indication that this is not going well for Fox Searchlight at all. Yeah. And um, to go back, I mean, I, I do want to phrase my conspiracy theory thing in a slightly more legitimate mouth to say that Harry Belafonte, winner of an, a famous Oscar speech giver uh, for, for an honorary award, the quote he gave The Hollywood Reporter is, it's interesting because it, and he means the story, is coming out at the same time the film's coming out. Of all the stories you can tell, why are you telling the story? And if he was somebody who had committed a crime and got away with it, but he faced a justice system. Yeah, so there are these people who are just like, why are we talking about this at all? And, and that I object to, because we need to talk about this. Time, Richard, 
Can we talk about Snowden <laughs> and uh, the Lake well, Between Oceans? Um, I I may or may not. No, you can't talk about it. Have gone to East Hampton on Sunday for one weird night to see hypothetically the Oliver Stone movie about <laughs> Edward Snowden. I'm not going to say the title of the movie. But it is <laughs> okay. Um, film about Snowden. Yeah, uh, Peggy Siegel. I had mentioned this already on the podcast, but Peggy Siegel yeah. held an event, kind of early screening in the, in East Hampton, which she does throughout the summer um, for various movies. Um, and since I told our listeners I was going to go, I guess I have to just cop to the fact that I didn't go. Yeah, you know, I took a three-hour train, listeners, um, all by myself. Went to the screening. And I stood Richard up. Waited for Mike and his fiance <laughs> to show up at the screening. They never saw them at the party. They never showed up. So I was there by myself, ah, to the, to the extent that, that one of the publicists said to me, are you here all alone? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> With this kind of pitying tone. And I was, no. like, I was like, yes, I am. And then I immediately called the cab and went back to my uh, motel. So, But no, it was a, it was a fun so experience. So you're very favorably disposed to the film now. Oh, that, oh yeah. After yeah, that yeah, experience. No. no, it was a good experience. I was saying to Mike the other day, uh, yesterday, in fact, that I saw Christy Brinkley. She was at the screening. And, and Mike said, you haven't really been to the Hamptons for real until you see Christy Brinkley. That's so right, so I now I'm, I'm initiated. Did you run up to her and just start singing Uptown Girl? Oh, always. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, I do that yeah, to yeah. a lot of celebrities. <laughs> most celebrities, in fact. Or whatever song they're most closely associated yep. with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, again, I'm sort of under an embargo. And that was kind of reiterated to me um, by publicists that night. So I will say that um, this is one to watch out for. Um, certainly. Um, I would say certainly for acting. And... Um, Oliver Stone has had a somewhat spotty track record of late, I would say, in the maybe new millennium. Um, I actually like Savages a lot, so there you go. No, I agree. I like Savages, too. I think that's a fun, weird, kind of out-of-character movie for him. Mm -hmm. I guess not if you look at his like natural born killers yes mode which is that's um, my favorite mode that's my yeah Oliver Stone so mode. and and that and savage is, is good in that and um salma hayek deserved an oscar nomination for that she um, was great in that but this is his more political mode and i would argue mm-hmm. that the political stuff w and you know maybe yes. one uh, world trade center has been a little bit lackluster since his kind of real rattling cages kind of days without reviewing i will say this potentially as a return to form but also, you know, reflects a, an older filmmaker with a little bit more perspective or something. So, mm-hmm. so I'm, you know, I'm, that's uh, probably all I should say about it. But again, it's in play. Let's say. Can I talk about some of the stranger promotional arms of this machine? Yeah. Nice. Uh, so they premiered Snowden at San Diego Comic Con, which is a crazy thing for an award season contender to have to do. Um, and they did a big presentation in Hall H where you usually have Star Wars and Marvel and then you had Oliver Stone talking to many thousand people in this massive sweaty hall. And I think the idea, if I were to extrapolate, is that, you know, nerds, comic book nerds <laughs> are interested in technology and hacking and Snowden. Uh, Snowden Skyped in uh, to Comic-Con, so that happened. And then all of a sudden went off on this huge rant about cell phones and Pokemon Go and, and all of this happened at Comic-Con. Against Pokemon Go? He was railing against Pokemon Go at Comic-Con? He was. He was talking about how we're all willfully giving our information over to the man uh, via these games and our cell well, phones. He has a point. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so my question is, I don't know if you guys, uh, yesterday I was in a movie theater, just a regular old screening, and there was a great PSA in front of it from Oliver Stone talking to the theater about 
how you know you were giving out all our information to the man cell phones are evil <laughs> blah 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 and then it's it's basically a turn off your cell phone psa He's oh like, yes so so like throw your cell phone away and then at the end like there's a voice that was like oliver stone's views do not reflect that of the theater please feel free to turn your phone back on <laughs> once like once the movie's over That's great. i found it so charming yeah and just this really inter- and then it, you know it's ad- it's an advertisement for snowden basically but not a trailer right. and and oliver stone just sort of being a sport about it and uh i was pretty charmed by that that's clever and you know like, i will say he he gave a few remarks before the screening and then was at, um you know made himself available at the blue parrot um afterward across the street uh and he seemed really charming i was expecting yeah. someone kind of ornery and like a little bit uh, you know odd but he was just like a you know, kind of guy in his in a blazer just kind of clutching his wife's hand and yeah he looked like a nice guy the rest of the crowd you know is an interesting mix it was some older kind of types who attend these Peggy Siegel events but then because it was the Hamptons it was the summertime they're very well healed blonde beautiful well dressed grandchildren it was kind of a funny mix and I think that the reaction seemed kind of mixed I think that I heard some some of the older folks kind of grumbling about it but but, but you I know think, you, you gotta know. love this about Oliver Stone in both of these cases you, you could argue that he's venturing a little bit into enemy territory because I mean he's not because this guy uh, operates in all these in all these places and he's very right. very savvy and canny uh, in addition to being though very very sincere and passionate mm-hmm. um, and kind of kooky you know but you kind of got to love there's probably a part of Oliver Stone's like I'm going to show those fucking Hamptons people I'm going to stick <laughs> it to them you know yeah. and these crazy yeah. Comic Con kids were giving all their stuff over to the man I got to go there and tell them <laughs> yeah. stop it yeah. you know like yeah. they're that, you, that's sort of what you love love about him is he's a crusader he can't stop even though mm-hmm. he's also a carnival barker he's got that the two things going and he understands you know i i sort of tend to think of oliver stone politically but he's a filmmaker and he understands right. hollywood and he understands how that sausage is made and how that machine works and you know i think that he probably sees the reality that we all should kind of face is that you know as brilliant as laura poitras's citizen four was which shows this thing happening in real time it's an incredible documentary if you haven't seen it that's going to reach a much smaller audience than a big fall release studio movie with a movie star at the center and if you want to kind of impress upon the most people you can that what Snowden did was important is a force for good in the world. That's how you got to do it. Yeah. You know, you can't kind of talk to the same people over and over again. And I think that that that's is interesting that he's always kind of worked in that vein. He was cast in Tom Cruise and born on the 4th of July. He was, yes. you know, he, he was doing big things on a big scale while talking about this stuff that was not really the most acceptable dinner party conversation. You yeah. Know? So he's always kind of tread that line really fascinatingly. And, and I think that he's continuing that with this movie, which is exciting. Just tell me one thing. Is it is it bad for Hillary? Just let me know. Just um, give it to me straight. No, I would say it's bad for Barack, but I don't yeah. think it's bad oh. for Hillary. No, I yeah. think I, I don't know if, you know, I don't want to say more than that, but no. All right. You want it to be special forces? Yes, sir. Why do you want to join the CIA? I'd like to help my country make a difference in the world. The average test time is five hours. I'm done, sir. It's been 40 minutes. 38 minutes. What should I do now? Whatever you want. The deputy director of the NSA offered me a new position. Can you tell me anything about it? (laughs) You know I can't. So then we also saw another movie we can't really talk about. (laughs) Yay, Embargo. Light Between Oceans. 
Uh, and all we can really say is Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander are in almost every scene and mm-hmm. fall in love visibly and, and on stage. That was again, on, on screen, like we mentioned last week. That was discussed in the VF cover story about Alicia Vikander. So I think we can say with we with can discuss that that you really can watch these people fall in love IRL. IRL. So, uh, so I don't know. We'll come back to that next week. But it is interesting because um, I feel like, not to talk about the movie itself at all, but that Disney has two real Oscar contenders this year with, with Queen of Katwe and The Light Between the Oceans that are outside the animation wing. And, and I really feel them pushing that this year. That they're like, we've got the Marvel, we've got the Star Wars, we've got all your toys, we've got all your children forever. Um, making that push into the Oscar race yeah. for real. I mean, I, we're rapidly getting to the place where like Disney is going to be the only company in the whole country. I feel like because they're going to, they're looks like they might buy Vice at some point. They're just uh, they're reaching out beyond their kind of family thing to just take over everything else. I want to hear Oliver Stone ranting about Disney. Yeah, uh, the mouse ears. <laughs> Don't trust the mouse ears. I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. I've got who's its and what's its galore. You want thingamabobs? I got 20. But who cares? No big deal. I want more. Okay. So this list, there's a wonderful guy named Christian Blauvelt. Blauvel. Do you know how to pronounce his name? And no, uh, I like the second one better. Level. I mean, anyway, he's a really nice fellow, and yeah. he does these incredibly enterprising things where he reaches out to, uh, in this case, 177. Well, 177 responded. I think he, right. there were more. Yeah. Yeah. Quote unquote film critics, <laughs> including me, who not a film critic, all over the world too, which is great. All over the world, and says, and and you should know something up front about this. Christian writes this email that you feels like he wrote it to you which clearly he can't because they're sending out 300 of them. And he's like, look, don't worry about, you know, correcting for your own interests. Like, just pick your favorite movies. What are the ones that you really like? And so I think that that does influence the list, and I think it makes a more interesting list. Mm -hmm. No one's trying to, like, etch anything. Well, I wasn't trying to etch anything in stone with my list. I was just like, these are awesome movies that I like. And so then he kind of compiled them all, and he got this list of the 100 best movies, I guess, 2000 and forward, right? Right. It's labeled 21st century, but it's really the last 16 years, which is less impressive than the 21st century. Right, right, right. Better headlines. 21st century so far. So the list is kind of crazy. And as we discussed, Mulholland Drive is the number one movie. In the Mood for Love is number two. There Will Be Blood is number three. Spirited Away is number four, which I think is so great. Yeah. And then yeah. the first one from my list, Boyhood, number five. And then the first one from Richard's list, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, number six. The Tree of Life, which I do love, even though three people walked out of the theater when I watched it. Yee Yee, a one and a two, which I've never seen. A Separation, which Richard has discussed here as being one of the great movies of all time. And then another one from my list, No Country for All Men, number 10. Yeah. And we can go on, but I should just say also number 11 is Inside Lewin Davis, which I do think is the worst Coen Brothers movie. Uh, there was but, a lot of rancor about that being on the yeah, list, I saw. Even, yeah. 
even Katie didn't put that on her list, and you know she's in the bag for Inside Lewin Davis. She uh, is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the first thing I did, of course, is pluck out Mike's list, Richard's list, and Katie's list to sort of see what you guys picked. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. I, no, I'm I felt, so embarrassed by my list, by the way, but whatever. No, I was really happy to see all of you put some comedies on your list. I think a lot of the critics felt like they needed to be very serious and pick yeah. drama, preferably foreign drama. If they could, I mean, there are people, there were a lot of critics who are not American, not British, so they're not foreign films to them but there were these very serious lists and then not that your lists aren't serious but the fact that Mike has Idiocracy and Bridesmaids on his Richard has Wet Hot American Summer on his and Katie I mean Katie has Wally as her number two which I think is a really charming pick too. it is a great pick she also has Avatar on her list I mean she's good for her (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so not trying to be the most important person in the room but just as you respond to the prompt which is what really are your favorite movies so I was really proud of you guys for that oh well thank you (laughs) thank you so much by the way we should point out that christian who put the whole list together has a frequent prequel on his list the star wars yeah revenge of the sith which is which i've never even seen Uh, oh i mean i've seen it but i mean that's a christian you're you're nuts dude but like like, good benjamin button i mean you gotta love his list and a a serious man which i actually loved and his number one is Spring Breakers. So he and I were uh, vibing on the Spring Breakers thing. You know whose list, if we're going to talk about pe- uh, people's lists, and this is not, I'm not trying to snark, but it's just funny. Um, Dave Carger, uh, you know, the sort yeah. of long-term Oscar pundit and handsome man about town. His list is great because it's like Silver Linings Playbook, The Artist, The King's Speech, Wild. Like, oh. it's so <laughs> great because it's so, like... Academy, yes, uh, which yeah, I think yeah. is funny, and that's ex- his that's his yeah. audience. That's yeah, his, totally. That's why he speaks. To and them. if you that's what you like, you like. You know, uh, Mark Harris, uh, the great writer about movies and Oscar season and stuff, was kind of kind of beating a similar drum to some extent on Twitter when the list came out a couple uh, nights ago. Looking at this list of of a lot of quote unquote obscure foreign cinema well i would argue that it's not obscure to the people who live in those countries and other countries um <laughs> right these kind of little indies that are alienating or difficult or depressing or whatever sort of saying oh, this critical group think is as bad as academy group think where they go for the big schmaltz and uh, you know i don't know uh if it's that necessarily stark a divide or schism these days but you know you kind of looking at the list i think really it gets interesting between like 11 and 40 there are certain kind of widely held by critic movies that are said to be the best that i think many people either haven't seen or don't like um, which is interesting i find it very interesting the movies that people don't like i'm not surprised by the ones that that people haven't seen like there's you're not no one is going to watch the white ribbon Unless they are a big cinephile or a critic that watches everything. They don't play it at those free Bryant Park screenings. Yeah. <laughs> but The White Ribbon is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. Like yeah, I'm, really I'm angry at myself that I didn't think to put that on there. And you had Cash on there also by Michael uh, Haneke, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. On, your, on your list. Another great pick. I just did all American movies for some reason. I have... A- I have a thought experiment for you, which okay. is, or not, no, just a question. Uh, what's the first movie on this 100 list that you haven't seen? <laughs> oh, I'll go, I mean. I'll go first. Yeah. Mine's uh, number eight. Yep, mine is uh, eight. Yeah, one and two, which was so high on so many people's lists. So, and, is... the, and the great thing about something like this is now I'm definitely going to go out and watch it because. Yep, that's mine you know, too. Yeah. Same. Yeah. No, mine, I mean, w- what this list reveals, you know, in in the spirit of honesty, is my blind spot for Asian cinema, for uh, Japanese, Korean, Chinese cinema is really bad. And, you know, I think of the movies I haven't seen in the list, which, I'll, you know, is considerable. It's a lot of Asian movies. So 
I have not only um, some catching up to do that's important, but also some due diligence to do going forward. We're, you know, really trying to pay attention to make sure that I see this stuff. What's the highest movie on the list that you have a DVD of that's been sitting next to your TV for more than two years? Because that's Holy Motors for me. That, oh, I know. And I've, I, that I've never seen. Oh. <laughs> I know which one it is. I just need to find where it is on the list. I just need to make sure it's on the list because it's got to be. I think there's, uh, there's a few, but definitely Holy Motors. I just, I got like, I watched 10 minutes. I was like, I got to come back to this. Looks great. Uh, number 77, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. There you go. Actually, That's, quite a good film. Yeah. A, a great film, sure. And I've never been <laughs> in the mood to watch it. I just can't. But, you know, um, but there's ones like The Master, which uh, I'm so I'm kind of relieved to find here because I saw The Master at Toronto. I loved it so much. I also went to the premiere and I walked out of the premiere and all these people were like, well, that movie sucked. That was horrible. Oh, mm-hmm. Critics. And and I actually have a poster of The Master in my house and, and I really like The Master. So I'm glad I was I kind of got talked out of The Master, but I'm, I'm excited to see it here. But that's one of those movies that I'm afraid if someone discovers it on this list and tries to watch it at home, it really feels like a movie you have to see in the theater and give it your undivided attention. Not to sound yes. like a total snob about it, but you can't watch it at home with your phone in your hand. Like well, you, it won't. Otherwise, it won't land with you. Otherwise, you won't understand why Megan Elson had to pay an extra $10 million for the 33 millimeter or whatever it was. The 70 millimeter. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say. Can't for, see that on your phone. I thought you were going to say an extra $10 million for the hand job scene. Because Amy Adams was like, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> unless you. One thing that I noticed uh, just now that there's a three way tie for 100. So there's actually, I think there's technically 104 movies on the list. And one of them is Tony Erdman which was yes. at Cannes uh, just back in May, uh, has not been released in the United States yet. I don't know if it's been released in Europe. Uh, that, you know, not the critics have any say over this, but that could bode well possibly for its Oscar chances. Um, yeah. It's going to be at to- Toronto uh, in a couple weeks. Then it'll be at New York Film Festival. So it's going to be seen by a lot more American people uh, in the coming months. Which is interesting. I didn't love that movie as much as everyone else did at can, but it's just funny to see a movie that's brand spanking new, like a newborn infant on this list. Yeah. All right, Richard, what of the movies that you picked or even one that you didn't pick, what do you really think is missing here? That's not on the list at all? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, is there any from your list that didn't make it, in other words? Um, let's see. Um... Weekend, which I threw at 10, which is the Andrew Haig movie. Weekend at Bernie's? Um, yeah, Weekend at Bernie's <laughs> 2, actually. Because that, that's really when they developed the mythology, uh-huh. and it's, it's, uh-huh. it's much better. Um, no, Weekend, which, you know, I'm not, not, I'm not surprised to not see it on there, but that's a very small movie about two gay men just having a kind of romantic but philosophical weekend together. Is that the Swimming Hole movie? Or do they, no, do they that's go? Stranger by the Lake. Oh, sorry. Uh, weekend is from the guy who, co- who sort of directed a bunch of looking, but like this was his kind of f- okay. first effort. He, oh, he, 45 years. Ah, okay. That Great. director. Love 45 um, But years. I think Weekend is not only a, a beautifully constructed, intimate kind of two-hander talky movie, but also in its sort of both subtlety about its gayness, but also overtness about its gayness, I think is a, represents something really important that more filmmaking should look to in terms of addressing the just realities of gay life um you know it's again it's about you know two cisgendered white gay guys but still i that movie i think represents something important and it's beautifully made so that's what i wish had been on the list i'm not surprised that it's not joanna what do you think is egregiously missing here oh gosh um i didn't study well enough to know um i'll I'll speak for katie that's what i'll do and say what a travesty that avatar isn't 
on the list or higher. No, I mean, I can't defend that pick, Katie. What were you thinking? <laughs> Av- Avatar's I do kind of like thing, Avatar. Though, because, like, I, I saw it twice in the theater. I freaking love that movie when yeah. it came uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and then it sort of soured in my mind the way that sometimes these things do because you listen to the kind of consensus and you're like, yeah. oh, maybe it's it did like me with the master. Yeah, I, I mean, it happens. I'm, uh, I'm consensus. I love, like, Katie is my favorite person for just cheerfully sticking by her opinion but i would love if she were here to defend man on wire and a couple of <laughs> wait man on wire is on her list are you kidding uh, me it's number eight, number that, eight. wait are you, i think are you guys her. thinking of the same oh that's no she's talking about the she's about the dock the dock okay yeah the wall if she had the walk on there yeah. the, which is the, the <laughs> boy she redeems yeah. all the playful stuff with son of saul by the way she yeah just went there um she didn't put it on but i did see another critic angie han from slash film had yeah a pain and game a movie that katie adores that's actually a great yeah. pick. i was that's glad awesome that uh, some that that was represented even if katie didn't do it um the one from my list that i wish was on there even though it's nine on my list but i still think there weren't enough women directors and i only picked one so i'm part of the problem here but american psycho i would have loved to see oh, on the list mm-hmm. mary Heron. yeah mm-hmm. well we should mention yeah that, that it's like less than 10 percent women directors on this list which yeah. is an indictment of a lot of things that yeah we've talked about before his name is Wally. After all these years, he's developed one little glitch. A personality. He's extremely curious. And just a little bit lonely. But all that is about to change. By way of segue into our next segment, mm-hmm. I want to point out two things. One... The Descendants is number three on my list because I'm obsessed with that movie, even though I, arguably it's indefensible. Uh, two, Shame is on this list at 81. And three, Michael Fassbender is in a place, light between oceans, a place beyond the... The light between pine, pines. Light between pines. <laughs> yeah. And possibly could be an Oscar contender. We can't talk about it yet. But let's go back. Let's go back to the 84th Academy Awards to the, the best actor speaking, race. Yeah. George Clooney nominated for The Descendants. Gary Oldman for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, a very clenched performance. Brad Pitt <laughs> for Moneyball. Damien Bashir for A Better Life, a movie that I can barely remember seeing, even though I saw it, and I do remember it being good. And Jean Dujardin for The Artist, and no Michael Fassbender for Shame. Which was a big surprise. Which people were th- well, sort of shocked yeah, I think a little a bit surprise, by. Right? Yeah. It was that year, he's been nominated since, twice since, uh, but that was the year where it was kind of like, hey, new guy, this is what happens when we don't know who the fuck you are. Right. Even, Even though, though you gave possibly the best performance really in five years. let it all hang. He let it all hang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, people talked about him in Hunger, right? Before Shame, or? I think no. certain, a certain no. circle of people. Not Hollywood him, people. Yeah. They didn't know. Okay. I think Shame was his introduction. I mean, then everyone went back and watched, introduction, and watched Hunger. Really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it, that's the order I did it in, Mike, was because yes. I watched Shame and then was like, oh, this is pretty interestingly made. I don't like yeah, that. And then movie, you're, you're like cool Jordan Hoffman friend who's like, well, you got to see Hunger. Right. Exactly. That's what happens. Exactly. That's how it works, the, folks. Yeah. The people who are really... Uh, in the know. But yeah, no, I think that that was his huge sort of arrival moment and it was pretty surprising. And for such a performance that was so just out there and naked, literally. Naked. Emotionally. <laughs> yeah, that, that, it, that it got kind of overlooked for, you know, other things was, was surprising. So if we were to uh, make it a six-man race, who would you give it to, Joanna? If you threw Fassbender in there as a nominee. 
Um, hmm. Yeah, I'd give it to Fassbender. That's that's that performance has endured. Not necessarily the naked hanging it all out, letting it all out there literally, but my favorite shot is him sort of looking out the water, just teary eyed and wrecked. So yeah, I I I think he's stunning in that. But I do want to give some love to Damien Bashir, who I think is a great actor that Hollywood has since not n- quite known what to do with. Richard, Richard. Well, I mean, the, <laughs> my base or impulse is say Fassbender, but no, uh, in an intellectual <laughs> sense, I would say Brad Pitt. I think he's great in Moneyball. I think that yeah. movie is a little bit, even though it got a lot of you know awards or, or nominations anyway at the time, I think that movie is a little overlooked as probably my favorite Bennett Miller movie, my, possibly my favorite Brad Pitt performance. It's a great film, and he's wonderful in it, and anchors it beautifully, so I say Pitt. You guys are going to throw up, but I'm going to say George Clooney. I hey. just I just have a big soft spot for that movie, and I, I think he's yeah. so great in it. I think it's his best performance, in my opinion. Somehow, he pulls off the schlubby thing while still being, you know, the reincarnation of Cary Grant, or whatever he is. And my favorite thing about it is that on this Wikipedia thing, at least, it says, George Clooney in The Descendants as Matthew, quote, Matt King. and this is michael quote mike hogan signing off for little girl man anyway uh i don't know i could watch that movie over and over again for some reason oh sure Clooney believably running in flip-flops is one of the best movie moments of that year right yeah yeah sure shailene shailene was so good in that anyway whatever well i mean i guess the one thing we should say about the 2011 Oscars, especially in the light of this 100 Greatest Films list, is just how much history. I was defensive of the artist when it came out. I thought it was kind of cool to go see this movie in a theater with a bunch of people. That win was reviled, right? And I think history has proven that reaction correct. The, the artist has not endured in any way. And Jean Dudergen, as handsome and lovely as he is, it seemed like very much the wrong pick. Sometimes they get it wrong. Well, that's it for this episode of Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for joining us. Please follow us on Twitter at Little Gold Men. We are actually tweeting now. Please also sign up for the podcast on iTunes and review it and send it to everyone you know and share it on social media. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Alana Milner. As always, we thank Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And the award for correctly predicting the entire text of Trump's cybersecurity platform goes to Joanna Robinson. Technology and hacking and Snowden. 